What's going on everyone? Welcome back to another episode of That's Game Podcast. This is Johan here as always. And welcome to the very last episode of the That's Game Podcast for 2020. It has been a long season of Legends of Runeterra. It has been a great first year for this game. There were so many things that this game has been a pioneer of. Almost having a free-to-play model, an amazing tournament system, tons of game modes, and many, many different deck variations that the players can try out and even play around with. Of course, when it comes to card games, not every deck will work. As it's supposed to be, there will always be decks which are somehow better than the rest. But that's true in most card games, or I would say majority of it. And so to commemorate the entire year of 2020 in Legends of Terra, this final episode of the year, we'll be talking about the very best of Legends of Terra in 2020. I'm sure most of you have played this game ever since the beta season, or maybe a streamer of yours, a favorite streamer of yours decided to pivot to Legends of Terra, and, and you sort of got into the game as a result. If you notice, one of the best things about this game is that which is the very first thing which came to my mind when I want to make this episode. One of the best things about Legends of Runeterra is the free-to-play model that it has. You look at the different card game modes that are available, the Gauntlet, the Expedition, and all that. It is a free game mode for everyone to play. And through playing those game modes, you are able to unlock certain new cards, certain new emotes, some cutbacks that are related to the game. The, also another good thing is the region rewards. You look at the existing regions in the game. Everyone knows that Shurima is coming real soon. Probably in January or maybe even in February. And we all know that due to all these game modes, you putting in the time into the game, you're able to unlock majority of the cards that are available in the pool. This is a very big step compared to the other card games which I've played personally, such as Yu-Gi-Oh! such as Duelist, Hearthstone, Artifact. For Hearthstone, it's a funny case. There's, a, there's some saying that you can unlock most of it free to play, but after they introduce certain game modes such as Adventure Mode, such as those quests, and then they put a paywall behind certain cards, it sort of became not free to play anymore. You are required to either put a lot of time into the game to unlock those cards, or just pay upfront. And this is actually not a very big thing, especially if you're a competitive player. Most of the times, you are given the funds to unlock everything that you need when it comes to having a meta-viable deck. But for the casual player or someone who just wants to spend no money on the game, it is almost impossible to go free-to-play in Hearthstone. Even for physical card games, it's not even feasible for you to play free-to-play because ultimately, you have to spend money. There is no such thing as a free-to-play collectible card game in a physical sense. And one of the big things that Legends of Runeterra did, compared to the other existing digital card games and even physical card games, it is that they introduced an almost free-to-play model. The game modes are all free. You're able to unlock cards based on the number of hours you have put in. There's no exact paywall unless you want to pay money for emotes, cutbacks, certain different features of the game, which by to me is an amazing step forward compared to their counterpart, League of Legends. Everyone remembers that League of Legends requires you to unlock champions by either buying or playing a lot of the games. It's a good thing though, it introduces the players to get familiarized with certain heroes before they actually commit to buying one. And then there's a free champion rotation, which is a pretty neat feature compared to Dota 2 where everything is free to, free to play. 
And I believe that due to the game development and all that, they learn from their mistakes, they learn from other card games, they introduce a model where everything is accessible based on the number of hours you put in. Of course, you can put in some money to unlock some cards that you need in order to maybe reach master rank as soon as possible. And then, only the emotes and all that are behind the paywall, which makes it a very easy game for everyone to get into. Compared to Hearthstone, like I mentioned, where you need to pay a certain amount to get a certain amount of cards. And this is one of the big reasons why I believe Legends of Terra moving forward will be an incredibly easy and great game for new players to get into, especially those who enjoy playing card games and when they see Legends of Terra for the first time. And when they see how easy it is for you to unlock a lot of the different cards, the different features, just by playing, putting in time into the game, it is one of definitely one of the games where a lot of players will definitely pick up due to the way that a lot of things can be unlocked just by putting in hours. And it is not crazy hours by the way. It is manageable hours, maybe just completing a couple of quests every week. And you're able to unlock a free champion card, which by no means is a is something that is super amazing. But it is a good step for a game to gain the number of people who are playing the game. Some might say that the number of people who are playing this game is not a lot. But to me, it's a, it has been a great first year. It is no Hearthstone. It is not receiving the Hearthstone effect of being the first digital card game. But I believe with the right marketing and all that, more players will be open to playing this game. And the second best thing about Legends of Runeterra so far in 2020 are the patch notes and definitely Riot Games listening to the community, introducing different stuff into the game, ensuring that the players' feedback are always acknowledged and addressed. Tons of the developers, the game director, are very vocal and a part of the community. They are often seen sharing their thoughts on Twitter, sometimes even participating in certain podcasts by other players, sometimes even joining reputable content creators on Twitch for those uh, live shows and all that to share their thoughts regarding the game. When it comes to articles, they are often seen sharing what they believe, why they made that kind of changes, which I believe is a very good thing. We did receive that in Hearthstone, but in physical card games, there was no such thing because most of the developers, they just made the game and people just played. I believe that because we live in the age of globalization and tons of technology all over the place, it is very hard to not explain your actions. People want to hear your rationale, rationale behind every single thing that you do. Especially when it comes to making plays, people like to know what you're thinking about. That's a big reason why Twitch streams are a very good way for people to gain audiences. Because no doubt you can make certain play, most people wouldn't understand what, what's going on. You can just sound out what you think. And most players are able to understand your train of thought. And then probably they decide, you know what, I enjoy watching this streamer. Let me just watch him for the rest of the day. And so this is one reason why this game managed to hold on to a lot of players because majority of the players feel that their feedback is being addressed. They feel that the game director, the game design team, the communications team, everyone part of the team is listening to the community. And when you feel and when you know that the designers and the people behind the game are listening, you just feel a part of the game, regardless of you just being a player. Because you know that everyone plays a part in ensuring that the game becomes better over time. And with the different patch notes, it goes to show that they put in a lot of time and effort to definitely make the game look much more streamlined, much more playable. Because no doubt there are some metas in which some decks are way stronger than the rest. And the way that Riot has managed to balance it for the past year has been amazing. Even though I'm a very big critic of having too many patch notes because I always make it very similar to physical card games in Yu-Gi-Oh! where there's only a ban list every 6 months. 
meaning that potentially a meta change, a significant meta change only occurs maybe two times a year. But in Legends of Runeterra, the meta change is almost every week. And I would say the minimum is at least every two weeks. Because of the rate in which new expansions are being released, the rate in which information can be shared pretty easily through Twitter, through Dex of Runeterra, Mobilitics, Twitch, it is very easy for players to find certain answers to certain decks. For a moment where Soroka Tankage was dominating the ladder, people started creating the fearsome aggro deck, the one in Mistwraiths and all that to counter the onslaught of Soroka Tankage. And then, we feel the rush becoming a meta staple. People sort of started playing more Fioration because the deck contains Deny, it contains Mopify, it contains everything you need. And then also with the advent of TFGP Go Hard, or TF Elise Go Hard, or just the Go Hard deck in general, Fioration adapted and added Nobify, which I mentioned earlier, against Feel the Rush. As you can see, most of the adaptations to the decks are seen almost instantaneously due to the way information is being shared nowadays. It's very quick to find a counter to almost everything in the game. And that's a big reason why. The patch knows things is a double-edged sword, but ultimately I believe that it is the right step forward for the game. I may be a pretty old school thinking that the game shouldn't change too often, but now with the players being very active in the community, as I see in Discord, people sharing their ideas, talking about why certain decks are so good and all that, I truly believe that building a game and then having a community is a very important thing. Because back in Hearthstone, there wasn't much communities. Discord wasn't even really up back then, back in 2014. The only way place where people could discuss their ideas were on Reddit Hearthstone. And most of the content there are pretty trollish, very comedic, full of memes. And now with Discord, with certain competitive subreddits, Twitter, and all that. Information sharing is great. The patch notes definitely introduce talking points and for players to create distinctive decks, new strategies, and all that. Which is why I believe that Legends of Runeterra heavily benefits from the huge numbers of patch notes, which creates a very good talking point for the majority of the community to discuss their ideas. And the final best thing of 2020 in Legends of Runeterra is not other than the champion designs, the cards, and the distinctive keywords that belong to certain regions, certain champions. When I look at the champion design, when I look at the card designs, it definitely reminds me of certain aspects of League of Legends. Everyone knows that League of Legends is the parent or the main game behind Riot Games. When it comes to Riot Games, every champion sort of feels very similar, you know? They are marksmen, assassin, tanks, and all that. But then when you look at the champions itself and their counterparts in Legends of Terra, it just looks like the cards replicate or feel like the champion itself. Victor having many many upgrades to make it become stronger and stronger. In the in the League of Legends, it's seen that way with the with the hex core upgrades and all that. And the Victor in Legends of Terra looking pretty crispy with the Augment having the ability to gain a new hex hex core upgrade if I'm not mistaken. And then there's Vi which gets stronger each time you play something. And then ultimately it levels up and then it has tons of damage. Fiora having a separate wing con, hitting the vitals, which can be seen through dueling or destroying four followers or minions on your opponent's side. And then we have keywords such as Fury, which belongs to the dragon race. The Fury part, you know, I'm not really sure whether it fits in the law, because I don't play a lot of dragons. I'm mostly a marksman person when I play League of Legends. And so the Fury thing really reminds me of dragons, you know, each time they destroy something, they get more furious, pun intended, no pun intended, and then they get bigger and stronger. Another one is the Overwhelmment, which is a keyword which is solely, solely in Noxious and Freelord. It's very true in Freelord because the Drani looks at like the kind of thing which can smash you into the wall. 
And the obvious effect of having overwhelm is a journey is very fitting. The overwhelm can also be seen in those different huge Freelord minions such as the Wolf Rider, such as the yeah, the 6 mana 7-6, you guys know what it is. And then when it comes to Noxious, is brutality, basically sacrificing itself to do damage to Nexus. Can we see Imperial Demolitionist? What's that card called? Legion Grenadier? Yeah, so you look at those cards, those designs really fit into the lore of the different regions. And it feels that every single deck has a very distinctive playstyle. Now I know that I mentioned that in Hearthstone, oh no, not even Hearthstone, sorry. In Legends of Terra, there are certain different type of decks, such as aggro, mid-range, combo, and control. Usually the decks fit into those categories. But with each deck, it feels kind of different. As for aggro, the staple is always Biscard aggro, as far as you can see. The deck sort of revolves around Draven and Jinx. And then you sort of win the game through flooding the board, buffing things up with Draven and all that. Your win condition is Jinx, or maybe your, white, your board is too white and you win the game from there. The staple when it comes to mid-range is the Marcia. Which really fits into the Garen playstyle. Swarming the board as well, having valuable traits, beefy stats, not a lot of combat tricks because they don't really like magic. And then the game sort of goes from there. It's tons of trading because it's a mid-range deck. Like every single mid-range deck is different. Estodrani does freezing, the Madrasa basically just wants to overrun the board in big minions, or valuable minions. And then we have decks like control decks, Anivia Reanimator, sort of revolves around Anivia getting destroyed. And then you summon it back with all the eggs just on the board, and then you win the game. Some control decks can be seen as TFGP Gohard. Might also be seen as a control deck, but I would say it's heavily leans towards combo. I would say one of the highlights when it comes to this game is the number of combo decks that exist in the game, as well as the combo decks having distinctive feelings to it. TFGP Gohard relies around heavy draws and then ensuring that pack your backs can be cast multiple times a game, or maybe even once to close out the game as soon as possible. And then we look at Ezro Karma, which is also a combo deck, which functions like a control deck. The ability to win either through Ezreal popping off or Karma reaching the late game, and you sort of automatically win from there. Another combo deck can also be seen in Lee Sin decks, where the whole deck revolves around you getting Lee Sin leveled up, pumping a couple of gems, pumping a couple of important cards, and then you swing in and you win the game. So you look at the combo decks, they all have a very distinctive feel, which revolves heavily around the champions that are included in the deck. And every single deck has a distinctive, different vibe to it. Which is also the same as a different feel, different win conditions, different way of approaching the game. And that's a big reason why I believe that the champion designs and distinctive keywords behind every single champion, every single card is very intentional. And you can actually feel that you're playing the champion itself, even though you're not probably playing League of Legends. And now that we talk about the best things of Legends of Terra, there are a couple of things in which I would like to address, which are not that amazing, but it's something which exists because it's a card game, right? So the first thing that I would like to address is the essentially the card game problem. This is very common, especially if you play Hearthstone, you play MTG, Yu-Gi-Oh, Cardfight Vanguard, all that. It is that not all cards that are being released are useful. Some being with some of them being just too strong. Like easily when you look at every single expansion, there are bound to be some cards which are incredibly useless. You don't see them being included in any deck. Even if there's a chance of them being included in a deck, it can never be taken seriously. Possibly it can be played in normal, AI, but if you want to play it against actual players, maybe in the rank mode, it is not very feasible. And that's also a big reason why I say some cards are just too strong. Because let's talk about a certain few cards which are just too strong. Do you guys remember the pre-nerf Ezreal? Oh, not even Ezreal, I don't think Ezreal is overpowered. The pre-nerf Karma at 5 mana. Do you guys remember the Hush? How many times have they nerfed Hush in order to make it work? 
even at two mana burst, it still feels incredibly powerful, right? There's no actual way to nerf Hush. That's a big reason why it has been nerfed so many times in the game. Certain cards can also be seen as incredibly powerful, such as Nopify, Deny, and Warning Shot, Pit Type Rex, the Leviathan, some champions such as Vi before it got nerfed, Hymer as well. And when you look at those decks, these cards are just maybe at the tip at the tip of the iceberg. They're not even at the bottom of the iceberg where most of the cards actually exist. When you look at the cards that I mentioned, they can be played in almost every deck, as the exception of Vihimer and Vi, Pale Cascade, Guiding Touch, all the very powerful cards can be played in Splash into any combination of Targon plus something. And that's a big reason why some cards being too strong is a card game problem which cannot exactly be addressed. Because we all know the power of drawing. And due to Pale Cascade and Guiding Touch existing in the game, it may boost their power levels to heights in which every single deck revolves around those cards. And if you're not playing those cards, you're going to play another set of cards. And so the meta usually revolves around a couple of cards and everything being added to deck just to supplement the 40 card count. Do you think really that is a big issue? Not really, but I don't think Legends of Runeterra will be able to address this card game problem of some cards being useful and some cards being not useful. Ultimately, the right balance of the game is to ensure that Every single card can be played, and it's not too weak. But if I were to say that, when you look at... What's the card called? I forget what it's called. Purify and Hush. Both have very similar effects, right? But for Purify, it lasts for a very long time, but it cannot be used on a champion. So that's one thing you have to note. And it is a Demacia card from that region. And so you can't be splashed with a lot of decks, because Demacia is very rigid. It's not a very good region to be splashed with anything. Even more, Demacia is the main region, and something else usually is the supportive one. In fact, the Masa has to be the best region, right? Because when you look at it, it's paired together with Scouts, you can pair together with Shadow Owls, you can pair together with Ionia, and almost everything. You can form Scouts, you can form Garen Aesol. Yeah, basically, you get what I mean. And the most recent card, which is just too strong, is Grand Plaza. Even though the stats don't really show it, because lots of players are favoring other decks, the Grand Plaza is a pretty strong card, no doubt, if you play it on your defensive turn. And then on your offensive turn, you had a 4-drop. This is almost game from there, because Solaris Soundforger makes aggro cry in one corner, and Grizzled Ranger makes your opponent just want to quit the game on turn 4 with Grand Plaza together. And so this is definitely one thing I hope that Riot addresses in the future, which is ensuring that the patch notes are essential to, to make sure that not every single card is just too strong in the game. And of course another issue with the game is the burst spells, very exclusive to Legends from Terra. When you look at the top meta decks in the game, Lee Targon, Ezreal Kama, Heimavai, and Esadroni. These four decks have been a staple in the meta for the past 8 months now because we are about to end the year. And now we look at all these cards, what's the one thing that actually keeps them going? The power of burst spells, right? Lee Targon is a Pale Cascades with the Guiding Touch and... No, okay, the Pale Cascade and the Guiding Touch give them the consistency to draw the cards. The gems give them the power to raise these things to levels in which you can OTK in one turn. Ezreal Kama can basically OTK you if both of them are on the board, board and then you just spam Mushroom Clouds and all the burst spells and your opponent can't react to it. And Heimervi is so powerful that you can just buff Heimer if he's about to get destroyed and then you play burst spells and you essentially replace your burst spells with very strong turrets that your opponent can't possibly deal with. And for Estadroni, the ultimate mid-range deck beats anything because it beats anything during the combat phase because of the frostbite mechanic which cannot be counted at all unless you precast Bastion which is really a very bad move in all. And so, when you look at these top decks, they are usually defined by their burst spells. And that's a big reason why, moving in 2021, the burst spells can't really be too strong. 
because Cho Chan is too strong. Pure Cascade, Guiding Touch, Gems, all that are incredibly powerful as well. Not so much of the stats, but the ability of them being able to replace itself with the low mana costs. Because if the burst spells are not low mana costs, who will play in the first place, right? And so that's one thing that Riot really has to figure out, which is the burst spell problem, which is very exclusive with Legends from Terra. I can actually talk on and on about the burst spells, but you guys most more or less know what I'm trying to say because I've already done multiple episodes when it comes to that. And so I come to the tail end of today's episode. Hope you guys have a great new year in 2021. That's all I have for today, and that's game! <laughs>